0: This episode of the Consulting Pipeline podcast is brought to you by me, Philip Morgan. Hey, if you are a self-employed software developer or running a small dev shop and wondering how specialization might turn into stronger demand for your services and higher revenue down the road, then my services might be a fit for you. I have everything from affordable pay-as-you-go monthly group mentoring all the way up to one-on-one retainer services for clients who need to create transformation in their business faster or who just need closer attention as they navigate this journey of specializing. Find out more at philipmorganconsulting.com forward slash services. Reaching into the mailbag today, I got a question from Mr. L., and it is a fantastic question it serves a an ulterior motive i have which is for a while i have been wanting to review a fantastic book called the business of expertise by david c baker and i think pierre's question actually gives me an opportunity to start a series of a few episodes where i do a bit of a book review And the reason that I wanted to do more than just say, oh, you should read this book that David has written is because I think that it's just so relevant to uh, the audience of this podcast and the type of change that I'm trying to help you all create in your businesses, which really is a change that has more to do with expertise than almost anything else. So that's why I want to spend More than just a sort of surface level cursory amount of time telling you about this book, The Business of Expertise. Here's uh, Mr. L's question. He says, hey, Philip, I was talking to a friend the other day and he told me his company is making $200,000 per month. I was impressed. When we discussed about his positioning, he said his positioning is we do growth marketing for startups. So just to give you a bit of background, growth marketing is about fixing parts of the funnel where leads are leaking. Their customers might struggle to acquire traffic, convert visitors into leads, convert leads into customers, or finally retain customers. This seems to me like a complete lack of positioning, and I thought, how can they be so successful? What would you say? How can they be so successful without niching down? Awesome question. Mr. L, and I really appreciate you sending that in. So there are, I think, more than one way to think about your question. One is they have narrowed their focus some. They, they've identified a discipline or a, a set of skills or a problem they solve. That's the we do growth marketing part. And they've identified a target audience, which is uh, startups. So, they have uh, they they're not a pure generalist in this case, and I'm sure you know that. But I think what's coming out of your question is how can they be successful without something more specific than that? Something more specific than saying we do growth marketing for startups. And the short answer may be obviously I don't know I don't know them I don't know the specifics of their situation. Maybe it's luck. Maybe they um, have a uh, relative who is a venture capitalist and feeds them a tremendous amount of work, and they have to do nothing whatsoever to get that work. Or maybe they just lucked into a, a really huge project, and they're, you know, 200,000 dollars a month in revenue is distributed across three clients and one of those clients is 80% of the revenue. And they failed to mention to you that despite their attractive looking revenue numbers, they're absolutely terrified (laughs) that it's all going to go away with very little notice. So without knowing some of those details, I can't say, but I do want to speak to one thing that I've seen that David C. Baker identifies in his book, That is the probably the most common reason why a poorly positioned firm can do very, very well financially, at least in the short term. And then I'll try to remember to identify a second reason, but I kind of want to give main stage uh, and put the spotlight on this primary reason. And in a single word, it's confidence. I'm actually going to read a paragraph or three from David's book. I hope that's okay. I think that falls under fair use. Um, again, I really think you should buy this book, and I, I just want to verbalize a few excerpts from it because I think it's, um, it's so valuable to people who are considering the idea of specializing. So here we go. Uh, again, this is from David C. Baker's book, The Business of Expertise. He says, uh, and there's a little bit of like missing context, so this starts out kind of in the middle of a larger thought. All this started when I noticed that some poorly positioned firms actually made lots of money, and that bothered me because it did not fit the point I was making. That point being, you must be well positioned to make a lot of money. I make the same point (laughs) in my business. Um, Back to David's uh, text here. It just wasn't true. It didn't fit the pattern, and so it had to be explained. When I looked deeper into why this was the case, I discovered that they, meaning these uh, poorly positioned firms, just had a swagger combined with a killer instinct. They had that certain confidence that some other firms lacked, and their success came in spite of their positioning, not because of it. So that's the end of the excerpt I wanted to read to you. That's on page 16 of the business of expertise. That's really it. Uh, I think that's one of the main reasons why plenty of people (laughs) do well in life, not just in business, but in life, despite not adhering to what we would consider best practices in business or pricing or marketing or any of those things. So, that's one potential reason. That, that's what may be going on here is that when uh, this friend of yours, who maybe runs this company or maybe is a part of this company, anyway, when this company shows up in a, prospe- in a meeting with a prospect and they exude that confidence, uh, David later says in the same chapter of his book that it has this magnetic quality that just attracts opportunity And it does. I I think we all probably know somebody like this in our life who is not operating based on the strength of their expertise or their skill or their level of organization or their professionalism or their ability to market well. They're not operating from any of those potential strengths. They're operating from the strength of, they're just confident they just believe in themselves and that has a magnetic quality to it why i don't know i think books have been written on that subject that probably do a better job of attempting to explain that than i ever could it just attracts good things David goes in this section of the business of expertise, which I'm flipping through here, is a chapter called Foundation Chapter C, Excess Opportunity Yields a Price Premium for Expertise. He goes on to explain that uh, for some people, they just have the confidence. It's just there. They got it from childhood, most likely, and nothing special is needed to be uh, they they do not have to add anything extra to that confidence in order to, for it to produce impressive business results for them he says for that for people and companies that lack that confidence which honestly i think is most of us david's audience is a bit different than mine david's audience is primarily mid-size and larger creative agencies. So if you have gotten from working for yourself, self employed, starting a business, hiring people, and you've gotten to the point where you're more or less sustainably running a business, and you are responsible for, uh, you know, providing the salary of 2550 100 people, you've learned a thing or two along the way, and you have really probably developed a reasonable level of confidence in your own capability to run that size business. The people that I'm working with are a slightly different audience. I'm primarily working with generalists who are looking to kind of escape the uh, gravitational pull of being a generalist, or I sometimes refer to it as the generalist crab bucket. People who are looking to get out of that often do not have as much confidence in their ability to operate as a specialized expert, and that's totally understandable, because as a generalist, you're, you're not really asked to, to create that kind of specialized expertise, that kind of competence. My point is, later in this chapter, David talks about the role of what he calls marketplace acceptance. And how that is what you need to find if you lack that sort of overwhelming confidence that really carries the day with some companies that have no, no positioning, no specialization at all. And I think that really is true, that uh, if, you, if you don't have that sense of confidence, you have to compensate for it through visible reminders of your own Capabilities and that comes in the form of a track record of success working with clients for most of us, or maybe it comes in the form of creating a body of work like a book or a lot of you know, a sort of lot of content <laughs> that demonstrates your expertise. Like those, those things function as proof to prospective clients, but they also function for the expert as a kind of mirror or a reminder of our own capability, our own confidence. So anyway, uh, Mr. L, in response to your question, one of the primary things that I think builds services businesses like the one you're describing, if if, if they really don't have any kind of specific positioning or impressive expertise or credibility, One of the things that builds those businesses to impressive amounts of revenue simply is confidence. Now, it is possible that this company in question here has genuinely impressive expertise, and they're just not reflecting it in their positioning. In which case, uh, what matters more, the expertise or their positioning? I'd say the expertise matters more, even if the expertise is not supported with really good, Uh, positioning in the form of how this company's marketing themselves, at the end of the day, the expertise is what matters more. So that may be a reason that they've achieved the kind of success they have. I I want to, I I said I would do this, and I want to point out a second potential reason why some companies have impressive or even explosive growth for no reason that we can attribute to positioning or specialization or expertise. And it really falls into the category of luck. But there's a better way of explaining this. If you look at the Gartner hype cycle, that's a, a sort of category of research that Gartner engages in and publishes. And it's not perfect, is the first thing I want to say about it. But it's a nice map that kind of orients your thinking around what, tech, where technologies are in terms of maturity and specifically where they are in terms of how people are talking about them. And that's the hype part, H-Y-P-E, the hype part of the hype cycle. When new technologies come on the scene, they are almost inevitably accompanied by a tremendous amount of hyperbole of this is you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread is going to solve all these problems. Some of that hype comes from whoever created the technology. You know, if it's a private company, of course, they want to sell the product that is associated with this technology. Or if it's not created by the, you know, the company itself that created the technology, then it's maybe created by early enthusiastic evangelistic and adopters of the technology who maybe for them it really is the best thing since sliced bread whatever the reason there's this initial burst this initial geyser of enthusiasm which looks a lot like hype and if you are focused on something Like, if you're providing a service that relates to some very heavily hyped technology, you will be operating, it's almost like going to a different planet. Like, if you are on planet Earth, gravity is whatever it is here, and we're all adjusted and accustomed to that. But if you go to the moon, there's much less of a gravitational force pulling you down there. So, you can do things like, you know, jump, I don't know, 10 feet up in the air (laughs) or whatever. I'm not sure that that's the case. Uh, Don't bother correcting me if I'm wrong. You get the point. You can do things uh, on the moon that you could never do on Earth because it's a different sort of uh, lower, less forceful gravitational uh, field there. And it's sort of that way in technology when you are an early adopter on the service provider side of things, when you're an early adopter of some technology that's really heavily hyped. And the reason that happens is because there's a deficit of information about what the technology can and cannot do. There's a deficit of best practices. There is a deficit of commodity-priced service providers who can offer support around that technology. And so you're in a sort of different gravitational field when you're dealing with something that's brand new. And it may be that growth marketing is still in that stage. I think it's moving out of that stage, if it, if it hasn't already, into something that's more of a uh, uh, less of an overhyped thing. Even so, it may be that this company is really good at growth marketing, like they figured it out, and they have the benefit of a sort of tailwind, which is the hype around something like growth marketing. So that's the, the secondary factor I wanted to emphasize that could be responsible for companies that do really well without positioning or specialization is maybe just a right time right place kind of effect where they have a focus on some technology or something like maybe growth marketing is that just has a lot of attention and has a real deficit of competitive options. I have found uh, just, you know, by observing the the typical lifespan of many technologies, when a technology is at that sort of hypey, frothy peak of what Gartner calls the peak of inflated expectations, you've got about two to five years before that same technology is very close to a commoditized thing. And when it's commoditized, it's a way different ballgame. Content marketing, I think, is probably already a thing that is becoming commoditized. Inbound marketing, you know, to kind of expand the scope of what content marketing is, pretty close to commoditized. And what it means when it's commoditized is there's lots of options in terms of service providers. The technology is fairly well understood. It's not changing from minute to minute. It's stable. It's uh, what it can and cannot do are understood. In other words, it's the complete opposite. (laughs) It's the inverse of what's happening at that peak of inflated expectations where there's all this Uncertainty. That's really, I think, what drives the, the demand for someone who appears to have just half a clue as to what's going on with Internet of Things, blockchain, uh, digital dust, you know, some of the stuff you'll see on the very left side of Gartner's hype cycle. It's just uncertainty about that technology that drives the demand for service providers. So there's more to that conversation, like how you could potentially use that to your advantage. But I just want to say that's another potential reason why a company with who doesn't really do much in the way of, of positioning or specializing or niching down might meet uh, a very strong market demand for their services. Mr. L., I hope this helps. Um, Maybe that was more than you bargained for in terms of an answer to your question, but I really did want to use it as an opportunity to a answer the question, but b also tell you, give you a little uh, bit of an inside view, I suppose, into David C. Baker's book, The Business of Expertise. It, it really is wonderful. It's it's a very good book. Uh, I I mean, I'm sure it's not perfect. I'm not really a book reviewer, so it's not my goal here to point out any shortcomings of David's book, whatever they are, I think they're quite few. And in future episodes of this podcast, I think I'll probably spend another one, two, maybe three more episodes highlighting the parts of this book that I found particularly interesting or resonant or useful. And in that way, I hope to give you a little bit of an inside view into what's in what's in this book. So if you decide to buy it, you know what you're getting into. All right, well, let's wind up this episode uh, of the Consulting Pipeline podcast. Remember, I have the Consulting Pipeline podcast answer hotline. If you have a question and you'd like to speak your question using your own words, dial the phone number 707-204-0717. Record your question for me there. I'll play it on air and do my best to answer it. I'll end the show with a shout out to the one person in Kazakhstan who has downloaded one episode of this podcast. If you can download just one more episode or maybe even convince a friend to subscribe to the consulting pipeline podcast, you will leapfrog past your rivals in Lebanon, Cayman Islands, El Salvador, Honduras, Nepal, Uruguay, and Venezuela in one fell swoop. You'll make your country proud, in addition to getting an earful from me about specialization. I'll be watching the podcast status for your signal. I'm rooting for you, Kazakhstan.